Welcome to Breaking It Down, a podcast where I help business owners, executives, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and leaders on how to break through their business and careers. I'm your host, Michelle Falcon, entrepreneur, author, keynote speaker, and businessinsider.com featured entrepreneur. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Breaking It Down with me, Michelle Falcon. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, First thing, uh, I was interested to read that Shopify just launched a new product offering called Shop. Uh, Essentially, it's a marketplace uh, for their customers and uh, prospective customers as well. So I'm looking forward to digging into that this afternoon. They've actually become one of my favorite companies to learn from. If we have not connected on LinkedIn yet, go ahead over to LinkedIn, search my first and last name, and let's hook up there. Today, I am welcoming Reese Green onto the podcast. Reese Green is a co-founder of Trailblaze Partners, which is a management consulting company that works with consumer uh, service brands. Reese, if you were to build a company with one person, past or present, who would it be and why? Do I have to know them personally? No, you don't. All right. That doesn't help me at all. Uh, Richard Branson, 100%. Why? Love that. I uh, love that guy. He's a risk taker, but uh, in the right ways. I feel like uh, he and I would be complementary in working together. And uh, I love the way he creates experiences. You know, he just he gets in the mind of his customers like nobody else. Uh, so I think his, it's really valuable to have him at the table. His persona... like. I like him too. I'm actually looking at a picture of him um, like in my office. And, you know, I like how he carries himself. Would you be equally as disappointed if you found out that he was a jerk? <laughs> uh, yeah. Like to his team. He seems like a super nice guy. He does. And yeah. that's. I just finished his book. Bi- yeah, I just finished his biography. Uh, it's, a, it's a big book, it's, it's yeah. almost intimidatingly too big. You just can't, well, I'll do it on, on um, as an audiobook, and it's less intimidating. But uh, he just yeah, he comes across as such a good guy. Yeah, a really good I think guy. so Treats too. Treats his team well. Seems like a great dad. Like all the things I want to be, you know. Fantastic. Reese has um, come onto the podcast. Him and I have been friends for ages, and uh, we often uh, you know debate on certain things. So there's two things that we actually. Uh, want to unpack uh, for you as a listener. The first is, Reese. I think you actually asked me this question or you started the conversation and I'm paraphrasing, but we were debating where your question was, can a company simultaneously have a performance and a caring culture? So I'm going to kick it over to you. What got you to ask that question or start thinking about it? And what's your position? Yeah, I think uh, I think the conversation came up as we were talking about you designing your culture for for um, Brasa. That's right. You, you know, you and I were kind of just chatting it through, and and one of the things you were talking about being really important was was caring and performance. And I said, I I, I feel like at times those are competitive um, competitive parts of a culture, and I, I think it's difficult to equally prioritize them. You know, not saying that you can't, but I, I think it's really difficult to. So yeah, that that was basically my position. What, why, 
do you think they're hard to? Is it because push comes to shove? You didn't hit your numbers. Yeah. And I'm going to have to be a little forceful with you. Whereas yeah, in a, your home life, if your child doesn't do something, you're still going to care about them, right? Like, so are you, you're saying that both can't really happen. One has to come. No, first. I mean, I think, I think you can have both a caring and a performance culture. I just think it's difficult to have them as like the same level of priority. Um, you know, I think you, you, you kind of need to organize priorities in a, um, a, I'm, I'm struggling to think of the right word here, but like a, um, in priority order, you know, the, the most important to the least important and to have one and one is, is confusing to people and, and particularly to your leaders, you know, when they're in a situation where they're going, well, do I need to show caring here? Do I need to push for performance? Um, and, and even confusing, I think for team members, uh, not knowing what to expect from their leader. You know, I missed this goal last time and they were, they're empathetic towards me because, you know, X, Y, and Z happened in my personal life. You know, A, B, and C are happening in my personal life. Do you think they'll be empathetic to me this time? I don't know. You know, it's, it, I think having um, two equally important priorities, particularly when they're so central to your, to your culture, uh, can be very confusing to, to the whole organization. Do you think some leaders are just tolerant to it to, uh, and give people just a pass? Where they really on want, yeah, on, on performance, right? Maybe because for lack of a better word, they're kind of soft maybe and they don't like conflict. Yeah, I, th- I think that's really common. Um, most people don't like conflict. You know, it's stressful. And, and frankly, I think if you do like conflict, you're probably a little weird. But like uh, it's, it's difficult to have tough conversations with somebody, particularly about performance when they're not, not meeting expectations, um, you know, and, and it takes a lot of practice to be able to have that conversation in a way that's not uh, accusing the person, doesn't make them feel like they're they're a bad person or any of those sorts of things that can come out of that conversation commonly. Um, so yeah, I absolutely think it's avoided more often than it should be. One of the things that I'm exploring is having a three to one agreement. What I mean by that is when you hire new team members for your, for your brand and your organization. Uh, there's three things the organization is going to do for you. We are going to pay you. We're going to pay you on time and we're going to give you learning and development opportunities to thrive within your career with the organization, or, or maybe you leave and go do your own thing. And the one thing that the team member has to do, and there'll be like a verbal contract during onboarding, let's say, it's like bring your whole self to work. And that means encompasses everything, right? Live within our values, live within our culture, uh, your performance driven, hit your, your targets. And, and look, people aren't always going to hit their targets. But eventually, if that individual continues to miss on their performance, then you can go back to that first conversation saying, whatever happened? Like we, we have done our end of the bargain. We've completed on that. Now, at that point, I don't want to say you stop caring about the person, but change needs to happen. Do you think people, do you think employees can sign up for that and, and agree? Like, you know what, that, that's on me. I, I, I know why I got fired. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think the tough part becomes, and, and this is in a lot of organizations, but if you're disciplined about it and, 
uh, and think about it, you can do it. The tough part's in making sure expectations are really clear and what performance means is really clear. You know, there's, there's sometimes roles where it you know, doesn't, am I winning? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I filed a bunch of paperwork. <laughs> Does that mean I won today? Like, you know, and so it's, it, there's, there's those roles that really uh, grease the wheels of an organization where it's, it's just so difficult to know whether they're performing or not. So I'd say in theory, yes, in practice, it gets more difficult. Like a lot of these things, you know, the theory and the principle is, is super easy. The difficulty comes in how do you actually execute this in a growing organization where people are involved because <laughs> people are complicated. Do you think the average company is good at setting the precedent and goals? Or do you think for no. the most part, companies are just not good at it? I'd say, I mean, yeah, I'd say no, it's, it's some companies are good at it and their leaders let them down. Some leaders are good at it and their companies let them down. Um, you know, you, you often see pockets of good, clear expectations in organizations, at least we do. But, uh, as a whole, I'd say that this is one of the more fundamental things that gets missed. You know, and particularly, I think one of the biggest misses on this is, uh, people will set expectations clearly as a new employee comes in the door and then completely forget about it and never reset expectations, right. you know, and, uh, expectations of a role shift, expectations of the organization shift, customer expectations of the organization shift, like all of that stuff is constantly moving. And so you have to be constantly resetting and reaffirming expectations to make sure your people know where they stand. And that I think is the part that gets missed most often. Most people will do some type of expect, most companies will do some type of expectation setting and onboarding, but they don't go back and reset those expectations as things change. I, I, I've thought about this a lot since we talked about it. I think it was over a month ago. And uh, I think I've arrived to my conclusion and, and where I stand kind of with this topic and it's managing both until the employee just continues to fail. And it's not to say that we're not going to care about them on their way out. It's just not the right fit for that person. Uh, along yeah, I, the think it, I think at some point, sorry to interrupt you, mate, but I think at some point performance management switches to caring again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's got this right. Point. And, and at some point the employee and the organization need to realize it's not meant for each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it truly, if, if caring is, if you're really trying to like prioritize both of these things at the very top, which like I said, is going to be difficult, but uh, if you're really trying to do both of them, a caring organization helps an employee who's worked hard for them and, and been loyal, but is no longer right for the organization or the role. They help them transition out in a caring way. You know, they, they go to well the network, they help them find a role, they help them have a soft landing and, and really take care of them rather than just kind of casting them aside. And that's what I was going to to uh, to mention. It's just like switching gears. It's like going through the interview process. You're hired. You're onboarding. You set the expectations, and it's like caring, 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 um, while man- adhering to performance. If performance struggles, then you continue to care for them by providing them uh, additional resources and training. Or maybe even, as to your point, putting them in a different role in the company. But then if there continues to be a lack of performance, then you have to go into managing that performance. Then switch gears again for the into caring to offboard them properly. And perhaps they could be a fantastic 
an employee of somebody within your network at a different company. So yeah, they, I mean, there's a pretty good chance they will be. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a reason that you hired them in the first place, right? You saw something in them at that time and then something changed. Now, one of the things that I think leaders really need to audit is like, is it me, right? Like, is it the company that I've built that's failing this person? Yeah. Um, I remember one thing at one hand, you got junk. They would say systems don't fail process people. People do. No, no, pardon me. People don't fail. Systems do. (laughs) Um, People are always the problem. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I was thinking about two different companies um, while thinking this through. I haven't worked for either of these companies, and I don't know them um, any better than just reading about them online. But you, you look at an Amazon, that's clearly a performance culture and i think caring is an afterthought it's like your dog will care about you (laughs) not us right and and maybe that sounds harsh but i think i've read enough to come to that conclusion whereas you look at a company like shopify based on what i've heard from people that have worked from them they seem to have found a good balance between performance and caring because their company is just absolutely exploding right now. So uh, I'm actually quite, really interested in kind of looking under the hood of that company um, and learning from them, as I mentioned. when, uh, when Yeah, the but their, their founders aren't too far from you, right? I'm pretty sure they live up in Kingston. They do. Uh, well, and, and that, you know, I don't know Jeff Bezos and I don't know Toby from Shopify, but if it really comes down to how the founder of the company has set the precedent from the beginning, right? Like yep. it, it would appear that Amazon's like, screw your feelings. This isn't a place for that. We come here to work and change the world, change how consumers behave and so forth. And if you are down with that, there's a place here for you, but you have to be the smartest person for that role. And as soon as you're not, you'll be replaced. So it's pretty cutthroat, but a lot of people thrive in that environment. They love it. So when people say Amazon's a bad work culture, I say perhaps, but it might be bad for you. There might be yeah. individuals be like, I love getting my throat stepped on, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> pardon the expression, but um, it's interesting. Like no two cultures are the same. And I don't think it's fair to blanket companies under one uh, description of what a good culture is. Yeah. No, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I, I think um, there's been a lot of marketing theory and models applied to employee experience and uh, recruitment and that kind of thing. In fact, one thing we do is uh, an employee experience journey map, um, which is an, an interesting application. But uh, I, I really think like the equivalent of culture in marketing is your brand strategy. You know, they're, they're inextricably linked. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, there is. Uh, yeah. And, and what, what I, the reason I say this is because I think a great brand strategy is so clear that it attracts the right people and repels the wrong ones, you know, attracts the right customers and repels the wrong customers. And I think a great culture is the same, you know, it attracts the right people who want to work there and be a part of that type of culture and repels the wrong ones. And, to your point, not everybody is right for Amazon and not everybody is right for Shopify. And, um, I'm sure there's a, there's a whole host of other cultures out there that are the, the same kind of polarizing approach. But I think if you, if you are polarizing like that, you're probably in a really good place. Yeah. You look at a company uh, like Zappos, one of their core values, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but 
it's like we're weird right like and yeah. we attract weird people and how they define weird is up to them right but um i think immediately reading if i was to apply and read those core values that's definitely going to repel some people uh which they want i would imagine um the less burdensome yeah. for their hr departments um <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly reese i want to switch gears the second thing that we've talked about in the past and i'll i'll I will share my kind of opinion on this first and then you jump in, but should companies continue to protect what their employees earn? Uh, this is something that I've been um, kind of doing some diligence on and the, how it all started was if you want a culture of transparency, don't you need to be transparent about everything? And one of the things that, um, doesn't have transparencies. What does my peer earn? And if you look at the sports world, the NFL, the NHL, you could easily find out what your peer earns. And I read um, an article on Netflix, and their CEO wanted um, this to happen. They wanted transparency on uh, salaries. Uh, but they did not go forward with it for uh, you know a few reasons, perhaps. I don't know what those reasons are, and I'm still trying to find out why they stopped um, from doing that. Uh, I like this idea. Uh, if you're able to say, Samantha earns X because Samantha's gone through modules one to seven of training, her availability is why or whatever the case uh, is to make up that salary or that wage. Uh, and if Jonathan wants to earn that, well, go ahead, you know, do what Samantha did, right? She's the one that's completed all this training and da, 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 da. Um, you had a different opinion or I remember you had shared something that really made me think and it was around salaries not being measured equally from department to department. Can you unpack that? Yeah. So I, I like the, the sports analogy in this. Um, and, I, and I actually love this conversation. I've had this conversation a few times and every time it kind of changes my position on it a little bit. And, and I think that uh, in theory, sharing salaries and compensation openly is fantastic. Like in theory, it's great. Uh, and it works in sport because things are so measurable and contribution is pretty clear. You know, you look at Moneyball is a great, great example of, of how clear it can be and, and where, where it can get missed. But, um, you know, if you're getting more rebounds than another guy whose job it is to get rebounds, you should probably get paid more. You know, it's, it's kind of your contribution to the team and to wins makes... Uh, should make you more money. And, and that makes a lot of sense when you get into a, a, an organization where there's a variety of roles, measuring the contribution to the organization becomes far more difficult. You know, it's, it's a similar, uh, similar idea to, to what we talked about in the first part of this conversation where, you know, I said someone who's filing a bunch of paperwork every day, it's tough to know whether or not they won. Um, you know, it, it's tough to know whether someone in the accounting team contributed the same as someone in the sales team. Right. I think we'd agree that both of those functions are important, but 
is one more important than the other? You know, and, and <laughs> I, I think this conversation can quickly lead to a communism, capitalism, strong link, <laughs> weak link. Like there's, there's a whole bunch of areas of study around this type of idea of equality and equity and in, in, uh, resource splitting, but it's, uh, it, it's, it starts to get so complicated so fast. And it, I think about the head coach in, in sports, more often than not, the head coach does not make as much as the leading scorer or the most valuable person on the team. Sidney Crosby's coach isn't making as much as Sidney Crosby is. Uh, But one might argue that the head coach is more valuable to Sidney Crosby, but according to the scoreboard, that is not the case. So they've been able to manage, they've been able to um, kind of find their lanes and, uh, in the NHL or any, again, going back to any sports league for the most part, they've understood yeah. that, right? For but how me, much does their marketing team make? Good question. That's a, that's a, obviously much less, but yeah. now you're, I, you you're argue, I mean, you could argue their contribution, right? Like, so Sidney Crosby, yeah. he's not going to get paid the money he gets paid to score goals unless the marketing team is doing a great job, making sure the penguins are watched and their jerseys are sold and people are buying tickets and all that sort of but stuff. But I would disagree. He is the brand for the Pittsburgh penguins. The marketing team is the support to prop him up. But now I know yeah, you're sure. going to come back and, and, and go ahead. And, and, and we could, argue, we could argue this in circles for hours. Oh, I know. I'm not saying yeah. I'm right and you're wrong and, or you're right and I'm wrong. I'm just saying like, this, this is exactly where it gets to. Right. Yeah. And, and, but it, is it, if a company says this is what we are doing and in better words than this, if you don't like it, there's a thousand other companies you can go work for. Why not that? Yeah. Or you do you just mecha- do you-, you still need a mechanism to make these decisions? You know, one that one that feels fair, people can understand, and they feel like they can influence it. Why do you think um, companies haven't done this? Because so of fucking hard. Because it is so damn hard, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. but like, isn't that what makes companies revered and admired? Being like, oh my, they did what? Right. Like it reminds me of that company in Washington that paid everybody $70,000. Like everybody all got $70,000, right? Like that is somewhat in the same vein because we're like, how are you going to pay me $70,000? I'm whatever a receptionist versus I'm the controller. Now maybe we have the story wrong, but I think, yeah, it, it's it's very interesting, and this is what I really like about just my next venture is like, why can't we do this? Like, why not us? Why not me? Um, yeah. and I mean, we I might crash and burn. Doing this, I mean, I have heard of people doing. I spoke. I wish I could remember the fellow's name so I could reference this, but I spoke to a guy in uh, in Europe a couple of years ago. He's a uh, the principal for a, a PE firm. And they do this in all of their investments where salaries are completely open. Um, and if somebody wants a pay rise, they need to convince a committee of their peers and, and uh, leaders that their contribution to the company has increased and that they deserve a pay rise. Right. So it's, it's, it's kind of committee decided. Um, it's an interesting mechanism. I don't, I don't know if it's the right one. I mean, <laughs> I think there's, there's, a lot of complexity around building a culture that's okay with that and, and being in a country where, you know, openness and, and fairness are 
are valued above financial reward. But um, yeah, it's not like it hasn't been done. It's just not widely done. Right. Uh, and I'm not aware of any research that says that it leads to uh, long-term improvements in performance. I, you know, anybody that embarks in doing this, I think they, they have to be very aware that you're signing up for the, for a big headache and it's going to come up every month, every quarter or something. You're going to have to get ahead of that and communicate. Um, and you're very well might have to your point, have to reevaluate people's contribution to the success of the company. And, and how often can you be changing compensation models? I would argue that it shouldn't be very often. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. Well, there's, also, there's also laws to adhere to too, right? Like, I mean, everybody talks about pay rising. You know, you want to think about the positive side of this, but what if someone's contribution drops? You know, right. and, and how often do you review pay and are you able to take pay back from somebody? You know, like it's this, this is where you get into the details of this and you start to go, oh my God, is this actually... Is it actually worth it? And that, that's why I reference. I'm, I'm not aware of any research that says that there's a, a significant long-term upside to doing something like this. Um, I think and you can't well pilot it. And proven. I mean, you can't yeah, pilot this. Not easily. No. You could if, like, you, you can in Brasa. You could pilot it for everybody. Please, that'd be great. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's know how it goes. <laughs> can you? Is it easier to do something like this when? from inception as opposed to, Hey, we're a 20 year old company. We're going to explore doing this. I would imagine that it is. I would guess so. Yeah. yeah. And then you have to backtrack. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like any change project, but this is significant. Uh, because it has to do with money and such yeah, a sensitive it's topic. It's people's it's livelihood. It's people's yeah. effort. It's, it's interesting, man. And, and that's uh, why I wanted to have you on the podcast to discuss these things because you and I always go back and forth. And I figure that, you know what? I enjoy our conversations. Somebody's probably uh, going to like hearing us go back and forth. Uh, Reese, what is something that you're working on right now that you want listeners to uh, perhaps support? Uh, yeah, follow, follow me on LinkedIn would be great. Um, trying to build my following there and uh, try to talk about interesting stuff and, and give as much value as possible. So yeah, come connect with me on LinkedIn and and we can stay in the conversation on there. And goes for me as well too. Uh, I'm in the same boat, uh, just trying to uh, grow the LinkedIn following, connect with some really cool people. Uh, Reese and I share uh, similar content uh, around kind of company culture, performance, employee engagement, customer experience. So I will link up Reese's uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Uh, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Reese, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, mate. Appreciate it. All right. I'll see everybody next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If your company is interested in inviting me to keynote speak at a company event, be sure to visit my website, michellefalcon.com. If you have any questions on what you heard on this episode, email me directly at michelle at michellefalcon.com. I'll see you on the next episode.